0: It is good to be with you, and uh, I, uh, I've come. I've just finished. Oh, thank you, Roscoe. I've just finished uh, um, Alpha weekend. How many of you have done Alpha? You done know Oh, it's clear for Everyone. Uh, um, it, anyway, it was it was one of those awesome Alpha weekends. I, I basically found a bunch of people who live near my home, and I said, "Come to Alpha." And they all thought they were Christians, and then I realized. Anyway, we, we went through, through Alpha, and this weekend, they were terrified when it came to the Alpha weekend, as you've experienced. And, um, and there were two people in particular. There was one guy I prayed for, and uh, after I'd prayed, like, he, he got a little emotional, and, and you could see the Holy Spirit was working powerfully through him. But after I prayed, he said to me, he said, Ross, for the last three years, every time I close my eyes, I see red. I just, I'm so angry. And he said, For the first time ever, after you prayed for me, I, I saw clear and the anger, I, I feel like the anger's just gone. This is just awesome. I got another guy, he's a uh, he's the CFO of, of Transnet. And anyway, he um he came for prayer and, and he made it very clear that he he didn't want to be prayed for because he felt like if he did get prayed for, that God would turn his life all around and then he could he would have to give everything up to God. So I went, of course God won't do that to you. <laughs> and uh, and prayed for him. And uh, his, his left arm, it, it usually shakes a little bit, but it was going out of control. Now, he's, a, he's obviously a CA. So, like, you can't put that into an account. Like, why is it doing that? So, so instead, he took his hand away from mine, because I was holding it, put it in his pocket, but it was still doing this. And anyway, so so he said to me, he said afterwards, whilst you were praying for me, I could feel this energy going through my body. It felt like God said to me, I will will declare the gospel globally. Those are so cool, so, so cool. So I've had a whole bunch of those things happen this weekend, um, which led me to bring my poor kid to... To kids' church after he's been in a lot of church, and he got kicked out of kids' church in the first five minutes, which is actually quite an achievement. Five minutes in, anyway. So if my kid stole one of your kids' something,s I'm so sorry. Lots of church, Um, but as we get as we wrap up this courageous community, what I've I've loved about this year, a lot of things not to love about this year, but. What I've loved about this year is how many people are getting sent to me because of how tough it is. So I've had business guys coming to me and and saying, Ross, I need to meet to sort out my life. And I've had people in marriage crises coming to me. And I've led more people to the Lord one-on-one in the first few months of this year than I probably have in the last 12 months before that. And so I was chatting to a, a business guy the other day. I was thinking about which story store, but I was chatting to a business guy, and, he, um, and I said to him, are you here to see me on business or, or for something else? Because if you're going to a pastor to get business advice, like it's going to go bad. So I, I said, which is it? And, and he said to me, he said, no, I heard that you, you often speak to business people, and, um, and my business is going under, and I just need help all around in every aspect of my life. And so we chatted a little bit, and then I, I gave him this drawing. And, and it's such a profound drawing. Some of you might have seen it before. If nothing else, this drawing will leave, leave you mesmerized by my, my sheer ability when it comes to art. And, uh, and so I drew him this beautiful picture. And I said, and I've done this often, probably hundreds of times on napkins, on all kinds of things. I said, to him, you're on one side of a chasm. And God's on the other side of the chasm, chasm. And the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He is so holy that that you, even if you could get Him, you'd burn up in His presence. So, so I said to him, So there are two kinds of people. There, there are people who try as hard as they can to walk as many grannies across the road as they can. And they do everything they can to get to God by good works. And they just ah can never make it, and then there are other people kind of like you. You just like, <laughs> uh, uh, and so I said, I said you you can't get there because everyone sinned, and you know what's beautiful about pressure? Pressure will reveal to you how messed up you are. Pressure just does that. It's like a gift. Like you can think you've got it all together and then you face enough pressure and you realize, flip, I'm a wreck. So he's in pressure. It's beautiful. So I said to him, you can't get to God, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Every time I've done that this year, At the end of it, I've said to the person, do you want to ask God into your life? Every time, apart from this guy, they've said yes. This guy goes, no, I don't want to be a hypocrite. To which I laughed, because I'm a Christian. Let's face it, we're like walking hypocrites. Like, we we want to be better. So I said to him, I said, but you're going to be... So much worse of a hypocrite than you think. It's going to take years for you to stop being a hypocrite. And when you get there, you'll realize now nah, how bad a hypocrite you actually are. And even though you're a whole lot better than you were, you're worse than you think. Like that's kind of the journey. Hey guys, I mean, the further along you get, the worse you realize you are, the more you need God. That's, that's the journey. So he says, But all my friends are going to think I'm a hypocrite. I said, Absolutely. They're going to think you're terrible but then they're going to see your life change. And so we prayed the prayer. And I'll tell you that story because there has never been a time when, in South Africa where doing this is easier and you need to do it to your friends. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can just stare at my artwork for the rest of today and it will bring you grace and joy. But I want to speak actually mostly to Christians today. And uh, I've been doing premarital. Premarital is an amazing experience because in premarital what you do is you, you expose all the elephants in the room. You know the saying, there's an elephant in the room, let's name the elephant in the room. What's the elephant in the room? Well, you get to expose all the elephants in the room. So you expose the sex elephant in the room. And that conversation is hilarious, um, especially with people who've been dating for six months and most of them who come to our premarital are non-Christians and the think they've got the sex thing down, and then I tell them, it takes about 10 years to get to the best place in your sex life, and then their eyes light up, and all the guys who have been dragged there, just feel joy, And, and uh, but we name the sex elephant in the room, and then we name the money elephant in the room, and that doesn't go so well, and then we name the children elephant in the room, how many kids do you want to have, two, five, too many kids in the world, like, wait, what's the elephant in the room with you, and, and then the mother-in-law but we don't say elephant in the room. We, we name all of these things. And, uh, and here's the thing. They have to keep coming back. Otherwise, we won't marry them. Like, they have to get six ticks. And it's beautiful. So I have this, like, I run a circus every week. And it's wonderful. But I was thinking about the elephant in the room when it came to Christianity. And here's what I think the elephant in the room is that nobody wants to speak about. Is how come most, not all, How come most Christians are just as free, just as kind, just as loving, just as joyless or joyful, just as worried as the non-Christians around them? How come? What's up with the fact that Christians aren't more free, more joyous, more loving, more kind, more absolutely joyful and Terrible persecution or terrible situations than those around them. And and I've been thinking about that lots and lots and lots. And what I realized is is one of the biggest reasons for that is the community you're in and the conversation that happens in that community. In fact, this series that we're wrapping up, Courageous Community, came out of the, the fact that if, if Christians are just like the non-Christians in an economy like this, like this is the time to be light. And if, if we're just like the rest, we need to change that. You see, the difference between a courageous community and another normal community is this. I'm, I'm in a meeting, a, a business meeting. We've got the head of trade and industry to come and speak to Christians, Christian business people and uh, there are a whole bunch of churches represented and it gets to Q&A time and all the questions are the normal South African rhetoric. It's like ESCOM this and legislation that and BE and and then it's one off to the next and eventually one lady stands up, Gugu Lamini, a good friend of mine she stands up and she says if you are Christian business people and you don't have the faith to get through these issues, you should not be in this room. And I went, yes, and about five of us started clapping. The rest didn't. <laughs> See, that's courage. And the five of us clapping around her is a Christian community of courage. When I went through marriage, not fun, when I went through that, there were some Christians who came around me and they said, Ross, we've been through this we know that marriage is tough and we're going to come around you and we're going to fight but you better not give up and we're going to get you through that's a Christian community of courage when you get a community who say to you the way you're living is pretty average and what's coming out of your mouth is straight from hell and you need to change it so that God can get glorified in your life that's a Christian community of courage And so what we said this year is we want to get everybody into life groups and then we want to change what they speak about. We want to change it because God spoke the universe into being and if we can change people to to speak more about the bigness of God than the bigness of their issues, then we'll have more people going, the opportunity is here, not in New Zealand. Like, it'll just shift stuff. And so this series... Basically, we wanted to do a few things. We wanted to get people into life groups. We wanted to change the conversation. Then we wanted to start organizing those life groups to pray for and reach their suburbs. And then we wanted to plant a few life groups into a few spaces. One of the spaces we're planting a life group into is Queensborough. You have to be a community of courage to plant into Queensborough. <laughs> but no church wants to go there. So we're popping a little site in there. That we, I mean, a little life group in there that we're hoping will multiply and become more life groups. And then when, they, when people talk about Olive Tree, they'll say rough and tough from Olive Tree. And that's, that's what we're hoping for. But today what I want to talk about is the fuel of a community of courage. And uh, if you if you get this thing right, everything else shifts. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. I want to give you a little bit of context In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking to the temple and they see a beggar there. In those days, beggars would be given or allocated certain places where they could beg. And they get up to this beggar and he's asking for money and they look him in the eye and Peter says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And then he grabs his hands and he lifts this man up. And this man who's 40 years old, who's probably been lame since he was a child, he starts jumping and dancing and praising God. And it's so profound that 3,000 people are added to the church in a single sermon. It's a good day when one sermon gets 3,000 people saved. Like it was, when, you, when you look at it, you realize the sermon went on for three hours So I'm just getting going. No, anyway, three hours, 3,000 people get saved. It's a massive event. But then Acts chapter 4 says this. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. It's an exciting text, but they get chucked in jail. Have you ever done something for God and landed up it going south? So you're like, you begin tithing, and then you lose a client. Or um, I remember the first time I prophesied over someone, I think she was a teacher, and I prophesied something about business, this, that, and the next thing. And she looked at me. She was obviously a newish believer, so she didn't know how to put up with people like me. So she, she looked at me, and she like, kind of looked at me, Squiff, and then she went, I have no intention to ever go into business. And then I walked away. It was, it was just the end of that. What do you do with that? Like I take a step of faith. God, where were you? Or you decide, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. And then you wait a long Time before you meet anyone, you ever find this stuff happens in your life? Some of you, are like in that place, uh, you, you get to the space where I trust you, God, and it goes wrong. And here's what happens in Christian communities today we go, Where are you, God? This can't be God. But the Christian community back in that day went, Yes, God's in this because opposition's obvious, God's got to be with us. And so they respond completely differently. And then here's the kicker. Because when Christians today face fear, we, we get all worried and stuff. This is the kicker. On their release, they get released from prison. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer and they said, God, this is not fair. They said to God, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So what they're doing? They're going, God, you're big. You're large and in charge. You're sovereign. You're the creator. You're powerful. Because you think about Acts. I don't know if you know this, but Acts 1, you're 1. Acts 10, you're 10. Like They didn't capture every prayer. I think this prayer probably went something like this. Sovereign God, you're in control. You created everything. It's all yours. You started it. You can end it. The stars were your idea. You made the earth by speaking. You spun it with your thoughts. You hold it together by the power of your word. Every square centimeter of every Part of the universe belongs to you because it was by you and through you, and it all exists for your glory. There isn't a centimeter of the universe that you don't call yours. You look at every single aspect, and your hand is on it, in it, working through it, and God, I declare you are great. There was a prayer meeting that was happening like that. You know what happens in that space? God gets bigger. You keep talking about who God is, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger God gets, and the more you talk like that, and the more you pray like that, and the more you think like that, the more arrest gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then they say this, Acts 4.25, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Okay, now to the Christians. If you, um, if you were a disciple and you had seen Jesus die, raised again, and all that had happened through that, the Holy Spirit's come, people are getting added to the church, and all you had to understand that was the Old Testament, what you would start to do is you'd start to look at the Old Testament with fresh eyes. Because up until then, you'd read the Old Testament, but Jesus didn't make sense into the Old Testament, so you would have gone, I haven't read this thing right. And what you would have looked for was prophecies concerning Jesus. So in the book of Acts, 10 times they mentioned David. Seven times they mentioned David in context of prophecies that he'd made. I want to tell you a little bit about David. So when David came into power, Israel was in a recession. They were in a spiritual recession, and they were in an economic recession. Saul had started going to mediums, witch doctors, to get direction. Israel was in idolatry. They'd just been taken out by the Philistines, and so all the money had been taken. And Israel had been split into two. Civil war. They have nothing. ESCOM, not an issue compared to that. You've heard the thing. What did South Africa have before candles? Eskom. No, here's the the thing. it's It's a mess in Israel. And David comes into power. And the first thing he does is he moves the Ark of the Covenant from some dude's house, who it's going really well for, he moves it back to Jerusalem. And when it gets there, David does something illegal. He gets dressed up in priest's clothing. He was from the tribe of Judah. He, only Levites, Levites were allowed to Levites. Uh, only Levites were allowed to wear priestly garments. He gets into priestly garments and he worships in an undignified way. Here's why: the generation before Israel had gone to Samuel and said, "We want a king," and he'd said, "It's not a good idea. Make God your king." And, and let's run this with God as king. And they went, nought, we want a king. So they got Saul. What David's doing is he's just been made king. He gets into priestly garments because he's trying to say to the nation, I don't want to be your king. I want to make Jesus king. And then he does something that's even more illegal. Puts a big tent around the ark. And he hires 4,288 people. Worshippers. Like, it's a lot of musos. The salary bill apparently came in at about 450 million rand a month. Just imagine Sona. Cyril gets up. I found the solution to the country's problems. Musos. We're going to hire 4,288 musos. David then divides the musos into 24 teams. He puts an elder in charge of every team. 24 elders, 12 musicians in each group. He then gets teams of of people who praise God, people who give thanks to God, people who intercede and people who prophesy. And 24-7, there is worship, praise, prophecy, intercession, and thanksgiving. Imagine, you're one of the Levites. Your job is... Every day, wake up and thank God for stuff he's done. That's just all you do, all day. Declare it. And here's what David does. He puts his governance just under with an earshot of the temple. 24-7. Prophecy, thanksgiving. And you know what happens to Israel? Over the course of 30 years, they become the new superpower. Here's what you need to know. The Jews had a reference point for glorifying God so that the economy changed, so that everything around them changed. And so when they hit persecution, their natural response is, let's go back and begin to praise God. Let's declare the bigness of God, the goodness of God. Give thanks to God for what he's done. So they say, why do the nations rage and people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, he's quoting scripture. Kings of the earth, rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Here's what they're saying. They're going, God, you said that kings would take out Jesus, and it's happened. You saw it. Some of us should be going, God, you said the nations would be shaken, and lives would change all around us. You saw it. You were in it, and you used it to redeem humanity. You should be looking at what's happening around us and going, God, you know about it. You planned it. You thought it through. You've got what I need to get through it. In fact, you've got what I need to make it light, to bring light. Into the situation. We should be so focused on who God is that it just flows out of us. But here's what I found. I found that men especially in South Africa are angry. And I started trying to work out why we were so angry. And I realized that probably 18 months ago when I woke up at 2 a.m. And I was angry. Never been angry in my life before. I was mo And I was mo because I'd fought certain fights again and again and again and I'd baited through them and I'd got up and fought them again and I'd got to the place where I thought to myself I don't know if I can get up and fight again. I don't know if I have what it takes to get through this. And your wife's encouragement's nice but it's, it's not enough to get you through this. And your friends and your family, that's been your fuel up until now. Like, how do I, how do I get through this? And I, and I got to the place where I went, listen, ladies, we're like little boys. We thrive when we go, I've got what it takes. And when you wake up and you go, I don't have what it takes, that's when something gets Crushed. And that's when you see angry men. And if angry men live out of anger for long enough, it becomes bitterness. And when bitterness gets its root, it gets all gnarled up and people start to die inside. Some of you are here. The church in Acts... They didn't live off the fuel of I've got what it takes to get through this. They lived off the fuel of how big God was to get us through this and not just get us through this but turn what's in recession into an economic change. And for some of us, we've forgotten who God is and how big he is and our problem got so big and it's actually so small when you see how big God is. And you need a community around you who won't let you go into the, it's so bad and it this and Corona, it's coming, it's going to eat everyone. And it, it has to shift. The conversation has to change into, "Yeah, but my God, seen this before. He saw it with the Roman Empire and he saw it to the Persian, Persian Empire and he's seen, it. he's seen it generation after generation, place after place and he can make what's happening around me into something beautiful and life-giving and God has what I need. And church, if we don't, if we don't become that, If we don't become a courageous community, we will look like the rest of the world. And in an economy like this, we will die and not be light. And so I realized, beginning of this year, that it was either you're all in, or you're going to die. All in, or you're going to wilt. All in, or you're going to be angry. And so I'm calling Olive Tree. Get yourself into a group. Let us change what you speak about. And let's get our light on. You will find a fuel and a joy as you start to turn your light on that will utterly change the narrative around you. Don't, don't tolerate the conversation that just News 24s you. be something different.